Well, we just came out of a series called Keys to Being Fully Human and Fully Alive. And I liked it so much, I decided I'm just going to repeat the messages in it again. I didn't feel you got it. You okay with that? <laughs> no. But what we are going to do, we're going to do something very different. We're going to do a mini-series, three messages. And they are somewhat a continuation on the theme, but we're going to call it something different. We're calling it the God-shaped heart. If, if I were to ask you, what kind of shape is your heart in? Uh, many of us wouldn't have a clue. Because, you know, it usually involves some pretty good, dependable diagnostics to know. We may think our heart is in good shape, only to find out that it's not in that good a shape. Uh, let me show you some cool things about your heart that you may not have known. An adult heart beats approximately 100,000 times a day, pumping about 2,000 gallons of blood. That, that is just stunning to me. You talk about a, a piece of, of equipment. Uh, it's been estimated that the heart will beat about 3 billion times during a 70-year lifespan. Just mind-boggling. Um, let's go on. The average heart is the size of a fist, or, uh, of a fist in an adult. An electrical system controls the rhythm of your heart. The heart can continue beating even when it's disconnected from the body. That's a little gruesome, isn't it? But as long as it has oxygen pumped into it, the electrical system built into your heart will continue beating just, you know, off on its own. Well, when we look into this book that's the revelation that God has given telling the truth about himself and the truth about life, it has a lot to say about our hearts. Now, it's not speaking of that physical organ, but it's, it's kind of taking off from the physical organ. The physical organ is so important to keep us alive. And so, Scripture calls heart, our hearts, something a little bit different. When the Scripture uses the term our heart, it means our real, true, secret, hidden inner self. It's who we really are. It's what we really are. It's a lot about the why behind the what that we do, our heart. Let me, let me give you a little, little uh, picture of what I'm talking about. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 423, it says, Above everything else, guard your what? Your heart. Why? Why should we guard our heart? Everything you do comes from it. Our heart our secret inner self, it, it's this mixture of our beliefs and our thoughts and our imaginations and our desires and our motives, our motives. God is always asking not just what, but he's asking why because it's in the why behind the what that we find our truest selves. How about this one? The book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, 10. It says, the Lord, it should be searches, uh, or, or excuse me, I, I'm getting it wrong. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Pause here for a minute. Don't go to the next verse. I, the Lord, search the what? 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel the prophet was told to go pick the new king of Israel, he tells Samuel, he says, you know, you're going to interview these brothers from, the, from Jesse's house, but don't look at their outward appearance. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, because God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the, you finish it for me, the heart. That true, inner, secret, hidden self, our truest self. I, the Lord, search the heart. It goes on to say this in verse 9. The heart is what? 
deceitful above all things, who can understand it? And this adds something to it. It's telling me that I have a capacity, if not a tendency, to deceive myself. My heart, I may think I know myself really well. I may think I know my intentions and my motivations real well, but I can deceive myself. You want to hear an old story that shows how easy it is to deceive yourself? How many say, yeah, man, I want to hear the old story. I'm all, all about the old story. All right. <laughs> this guy walks into a bar down in Texas. <laughs> People are leaving. I'm just starting the story. <laughs> he goes up to the bar, and he asks the bartender, will you set me up three beers? And the bartender, you know, shoulder shrug, sets up the three beers, and the guy proceeds to take a drink out of one beer and, you know, pause, look around a little bit. Then he grabs the next beer, takes a drink out of it, and then finally the third one. And he continues to do this the whole time that he's there. So finally, the bartender can't take it anymore. You know, he's, he's so curious. He said, you know, this is really unusual because, you know, they're going to get warm if you just do it one at a time. He says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, uh, I have two brothers, and one brother lives in Australia, and one brother lives in Dublin, Ireland, and we promised each other that when we separated, we would always keep this custom that whenever we went to a bar, we'd remember the days when we three brothers drank a beer or two together. And so this is the custom. I'm, I'm drinking with my brothers and for my brothers. And the bartender says, wow, man, that, that's wonderful. You know, you guys must really be close. He said, yeah, yeah, we are. Well, this guy became a regular in the bar, just like some of you are. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody got to know this fella and knew his custom. So one day he came into the bar and he only ordered two beers. And people were like, oh. And the bartender was, you know, sullen and hesitant, and he finally built up his nerve, and he said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What happened to one of your brothers? And the guy looked up, he said, oh, no, 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 no. My brothers are fine. You're misunderstanding. There's no problem like that at all. He said, you see, my, my wife and I joined a Baptist church, and so I can't drink anymore, but my brothers still do. <laughs> <laughs> The heart is deceitful <laughs> above all things. Who can understand it? You and I have a hard time understanding, accurately assessing our deepest inner selves. God sees it. He searches it. He's deeply concerned about it because it's the real deal. It's who we really are. And he wants to transform our very hearts. Nothing less. He's not so concerned that we just say certain things the right way, believe certain things the right way, as important as they are, but he wants to see that as a result of us returning to him in a trusting relationship, a, a real transformation is taking place in the deepest part of ourselves, in our hearts not just our exterior. So let me tell you a story on myself. I, I became a Christian in 1973, and uh, when I first became a Christian, I was so ecstatic that when I opened that book, it didn't say that I had committed some 
some sin that put me over the edge, that there was no hope for me. I was so ecstatic that God would forgive me that, that all I wanted to do was, was do anything that God said. Whatever God said to do, I was going to do it. And I have to tell you, what I didn't know then, I know now, I was doing a lot of it because I was thankful for forgiveness and, and just awed to have a father finally in my life. But I also was pretty scared. You know, I, I, I feel like, okay, I made it this time. I don't want to do anything to get in trouble in the future. So I was obeying God, and it was partial trust and faith motivating it, but it was actually also a lot of fear. So after about a year, year and a half of being a Christian, reading God's Word, you know, very, uh, very thoroughly and uh, diligently, I finally came to the place where I felt like I knew God's heart a little bit better, and I ratcheted up my, my courage and I finally said to him, I, man, I, I'm serious. I was scared when I did this. I said, Lord, I don't want to offend you or anything. You know me. I'm so grateful for your forgiveness and everything and your love. But, but I know you want us to obey you. I know that. You, you say that everywhere in your word. I, I understand that. You want us to obey. Please don't think that I'm being ungrateful, God. Please don't be angry at me. But I want to ask you this question. You know what it is. You know it's on my mind anyway. And, and here's the question, God. Why? Why is it that you want us to obey you? And I waited. I waited, you know. I didn't know if I'd be blasted by a lightning bolt or, you know, I didn't really think it would go to that extreme, but I, I was not sure what the result would be. Well, the result was really not much. And then all of a sudden, within a few days, as I'm reading God's word, I stumble across a verse that I had never seen before. And I got to tell you something. This is about my first year and a half, second year of being a Christian. This verse immediately started a transformation process in my life that was not occurring up to that time. Up to that time, I was conforming, conforming mostly out of fear and respect to God's word. But, but I, I, I was not, I, it hadn't reached me from the inside. You'll see what I mean when I share the verse with you. This verse started a transformation process in my life that continues to this day. Here it is, and I've shared this story with some of you before. Deuteronomy 5.29, way back in the Old Testament, the fifth book in the Old Testament. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he knows, he knows their bad, belligerent, misbehaving sorts. And this is what he says. Oh, that they had such a What? Oh, that they had such a heart. It's like God just agonizing. Oh, man, I wish their hearts. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me. Now, we read that word fear, and we, we think of, you know, kind of terror of somebody or fear of punishment. That's not the Hebrew word. Here, here's the, the equivalence. Sometimes you have to take a few English words for dynamic equivalence sake, a few English words to translate one Hebrew word or one Greek word. So here's your dynamic equivalence translation for the word fear. That they would worship me with awe-filled reverence and profound respect. When you read about the fear of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. Awe-filled reverence and profound effect. So God says, oh, they had such a heart in them that they would worship me with awe-filled reverence and profound respect. But Why? He goes on, he says, and, and I also want them to keep how many of my commandments? How many of my commandments? All. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> how, how often do we have to keep all your commandments? Always. Don't I get a little wiggle room here and there? All my commandments always. 
But why? It goes back to my question that I had ratcheted up my nerve to ask God. Why? Why do you want me to obey all your commandments always? And then this came and it, it just blew me away. So that it may go what? Well with them and with their children forever. Man, the lights went on. And I was like, oh my goodness. When he says he loves me, he loves me. He loves me in a way that I never dreamt. He knows all the time what's best for me. He made me. He designed me. And he wants what's best for me. He wants my highest well-being and happiness. He wants my deepest fulfillment. He wants me to become who he always created me to become and to be able to do what I was always designed to do. That it might go well with me. He doesn't want to see me hurt. He doesn't want to see me frustrated. He doesn't want to see me disappointed. He doesn't want to see me discouraged. Obey me always, Randy. Obey me always. And take all my commandments as your guide to obey because, son, I, I want it to go well with you. I want you to have the best life imaginable. And I'm telling you, when that, when that sunk into my heart, this is what occurred. My trust in Christ went from a fear-oriented motivation to very much a trust and the beginning of a love-oriented motivation. And it started a transformation from the deepest part of myself. Listen, here's the difference. Now, when I went to the Word of God and I found a command of any sort, I loved it. I cherished it. I wanted to. I was like, oh my goodness, here's a new opportunity for blessing and growth and development from the inside out. I completely agreed with God and his approach to life. And, and, I, and I wanted to do it. I, I hungered and I thirsted after righteousness like Jesus said so that was the start of my transformation it changed now here, here's where we're going it changed my core motivation we're going to talk about core motivation let me share one more verse with you we are we are New Testament that was an Old Testament passage an old covenant God made an old agreement or covenant or testament with the nation of Israel now Jesus has brought to us the new covenant or new testament the new agreement that God's made with us and this is what this new covenant is about it says this is the covenant that I will make with them after those day those days says the Lord I will imprint my laws upon what their hearts and on their mind I will inscribe them producing in inward change this is the new covenant when you and I put our faith in Christ and become his follower we enter into this new covenant where God intends to put his laws in our heart and imprint them on our mind how does that happen do we just wake up one day and all of a sudden you know the the over 1,000 commands that we find in the New Testament and the 613 that are in the Old Testament, are they all just there, you know, blah, 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 and we, we just automatically, you know, obey? No, you know, and I know that's not the way it happens at all. It's saying that the new covenant, when we come to see that God is so wonderful in Jesus and so trustworthy and so loving and so merciful, that we trust him and our heart gets to a new place of openness to God so that we want to search out and study and find out his truth, his word, his will, his ways. We want it, we absorb it, we internalize it, and we live it out. You know why we live it out? Not because we're afraid of God. It's 
simply because we really trust him. And so this is what every believer in Jesus should be manifesting, this powerful inward transformation. Okay? So this is why this, this series is, I think, going to be one of the most important mini-series, the most important series I've ever shared with you. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something in this series that, I, that rarely, rarely in my whole lifetime have, have I asked people to do. You don't have to do this, of course, but here's what I'm asking you. This series is based on a book. It is a book by a man named Timothy Jennings. The book is called The God-Shaped Heart. If I could have one desire fulfilled for every single one of you in here, it would be that you would buy this book. And you would, I've already read it three times through, and I'm going over it again. Uh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've probably read thousands of Christian books in my lifetime. It's no exaggeration. I'm a constant reader, have been since I was a new Christian. This one stands alone. You won't exactly find everything in it easy, but it is so worth your time. I hope you will each buy the book. We have a bunch of them in the store, and you can order it online on Amazon on your own. But I hope that every one of you will buy this book, and you will take the time to go through it. We're going to start some groups eventually. We're going to have this as a part of our, our discipleship, core discipleship program in the future, because it's just that important of a book, in my opinion. All right. So, the God-shaped heart. Here's the key to this three-message series that I'm going to do. Here is the truth that we want to... Uh, center in on it's it's this right here immature motivation won't produce true transformation in the series before you know uh, keys to being fully human and fully alive we said in Ephesians 4 13 says to be fully human and fully alive we become just like Christ that's transformation but transformation will never happen to you or to I inner transformation won't happen as long as there's immature motivation so we need to talk about what do you mean immature motivation when I told my story about myself I was more fear motivated toward God than I was faith or love motivated that was immature motivation it produces exterior conformity but not true transformation from the inside out here's what we're going to deal with in this series we're going to today deal with level one and level two they are immature levels of motivation some are motivated by reward and punishment some are motivated by marketplace exchange you know you do this for me and I'll do that for you we're going to see next week level three and four social conformity some are motivated by what is everybody else doing some are motivated by law and order it's it's the law you do what the law says the first four levels are immature motivation they will not bring transformation they will bring outer conformity we're going to spend the last message on level 5, 6, and 7. We're going to put them all together. And it's only on those levels that we can actually start to be transformed. For some of you, this is going to be such an important series. Some of you have been, you're, you're so sincere. You're, you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but you're stuck. You're not growing. You're not developing. And you can't figure it out. You feel like you're beat, hitting your head against something. And you're going to find out the secret of transformation to get your life kind of back on track and, and moving forward. Okay, let's go to today. Let, let's look at level one, reward and punishment. We have a great example of it 
when God made his first agreement with the nation of Israel. He took them out of Egypt, you know, and took them into the promised land, and then he gives them his laws. God starts to reveal himself to the Israelites. They are to put it into printed form. They are to preserve it and pass it on to us. So God starts to reveal himself to Israel through his laws. It's a fragmentary revelation, but it's the start of something very powerful and important. And so he makes, because their role in preserving, receiving and preserving the scriptures and writing it down was so crucial, he sets this agreement up with them. And so here's, here's how it goes. Deuteronomy uh, 29. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel. We can go on quickly. If indeed you obey the Lord your God and are careful to observe all his commandments I am giving you today, the Lord your God will elevate you, this is reward, will elevate you above all the nations of the earth. There's the reward of the covenant. It goes on. All these blessings will come to you in abundance, abundance if you do what? Obey the Lord your God. So you'll be rewarded big time if you obey the Lord in this covenant. But it goes on. But if you ignore the Lord your God and are not careful to keep all his commandments and statutes I am giving you today, then all these, what is the word? Curses, reward, and punishment, here's the punishment, will come upon you in full force. The first covenant that God made with the people of Israel, mankind in its moral infancy, was a very simple one, reward and punishment. Let me go and show you the second one very, very quickly. We find this in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, a crafty guy by the name of Jacob. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God is with me and protects me on this journey I am taking and gives me food to eat and clothing to wear. So notice the ifs. He's saying, God, if you'll do this for me, if, 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 you, if you'll, you'll protect me and if you'll give me the food that I need to eat and the clothing I need to wear, it goes on. And I return safely. You got to get me home safely to my father's home. Then the Lord will become my God. I'll make you my God if you feed me, clothe me, protect me on my journey, and get me back home to my father's home. It goes on. I will surely, he says, I'm going to even do more, God. Wait till you hear this part of the bargain, God. And I will surely give you back a what? Tenth of everything you give me. He says, what do you think of that deal, God? <laughs> These are two levels, core levels of motivation that are immature. But I can almost guarantee some of us in here are on those levels. Let's ask ourselves. Let's look at reward and punishment. Could it be that some of us, our obedience to God is, is more motivated by our thoughts that if I do this, God will bless me. And I, and I want him to bless me. And if I don't do this, man, he's liable to punish me. And I don't want his punishment. You gotta, you gotta be honest with yourself and with God right now. You got a chance to get a diagnostic. The Holy Spirit's trying to give each of us a diagnostic to see the real shape of our hearts so that we can develop a God-shaped heart. Are you, maybe unknowingly to this point, you, your core motivation with, a God, with God is you are reward and punishment oriented. Or maybe you're bargain oriented, marketplace oriented. You're like, God, okay, you can see, you can see, look at me, I'm here in church, I'm here, I, I don't miss a Sunday, you see that. 
and, um, and I read your word. I read it really regularly. So, so okay, so you gotta, you gotta take care of me. You gotta make my relationships work. You gotta keep me healthy, wealthy, wise. You gotta give me a job. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. You do that for me, God, and, and, and you, you bless me financially, and I'll give you back ten, a tenth of it and all that. So you do this for me, and I'll do that for you. And then sometimes things don't go the way we want them to, and we say, thanks a lot. You didn't keep your side of the bargain. Could it be that you are one that's more motivated to get God off your back and on your side? And you're just trying to figure the formula, man. What do I got to do, God? Will showing up in church do it? Will, will it get you off my back and on my side where I can get your blessings and avoid your cursings? Where I can get, get a bargain, a marketplace bargain? You got you to ask yourself this. I was there once, and you might still be there. I'm sure. I am very sure some of us are there. It's no shame. It's nothing to be afraid of. God loves us through these developmental cycles, but he doesn't want us to stay there. How many of you have children? Let me see your hands. All right. Perhaps you have had troubles at time with your small children getting them to brush their teeth. How many have had some trouble getting your child to brush their teeth? Okay, it's pretty common. How many of you brushed your teeth before you came out here this morning? All right, keep that in mind. That's important. We're going somewhere with this. So maybe in your uh, attempts to get your child to brush his or her teeth regularly, you use reward and punishment. You said, okay, if you brush your teeth, if, here's the condition, if you brush your teeth, I'm going to, you know, give you more time to play with your little screeny gadgety things or, or I'm going to buy you an ice cream cup or something. But if you don't, I'm going to take your little screeny gadgety thing away and there will be no ice cream for you. Reward, punishment. It tends to work good with kids. Maybe, maybe you tried marketplace bargain with your kid. You, know, you say to your kid, you know, your, your kid's always like, will you read to me at night? Will you read it? Oh, come on, dad. Come on, mom. Read me a story. Read me a story. Read me a story. And you're like, ah. okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I will read you a story on condition that you brush your teeth. And I don't want to have to keep it after you. You brush your teeth. I'll read the story. Marketplace bargain. Maybe some of you have done that with your kids. It's not, a bad, it's not a bad thing with a kid. Why? Because it is at the level that your child can understand. Now, <laughs> here's where it gets funny. How many of you have older kids? They're 18 and up. Let me see your hands. Do you still want to be having to do that? In other, in other, in other words, to get your child, your adult child, to brush their teeth, do you still want to have to be the rewarding or punishing or making a bargain with them? No, I didn't ask you why you brushed your teeth, but it's not because somebody said they were going to read you a story tonight, I guarantee. Okay? <laughs> we'll talk more later in this message series about why you brushed your teeth. But it's not because of fear of punishment, and it's not because of the hope of reward, and it's not because somebody's made a marketplace bargain with you. You are more mature. Your motives for brushing your teeth are different. They're more mature. It's appropriate. All right. So, so is this making sense to everybody? You see, you see how, how this, this, this moral level of motivation, it shows the condition of our heart. And God is all about transforming our heart and thus transforming our character. So we've looked at level one and level two. We've kind of explained those. So now let's contrast those motivations with a more mature level of motivation, the kind of motivation that God wants to exist in each of, or, or in the hearts of each of his children. 
Here's a couple verses. We're going to have these verses all through this series. You, you'll probably memorize them. Galatians 5, 6. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, all that matters is your faith. Think faith, trust, same word. Your faith, trust that makes you what? So here it's saying the only motivation that really matters doesn't matter about a lot of, it's not the what you do. You can be doing a lot of what, but your why, if your why for the what is wrong, you're still wrong. How many, how many have read enough of the Bible to know that, that the guys that gave Jesus the worst time were the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees? How many know enough of the Bible you know that? And these guys, these guys had the, most of them had the whole Old Testament memorized. How many of you have the whole Old Testament memorized? Can I see your hand? I don't. I don't. I mean, if you, okay. So, their outward behavior was scrupulous in trying to align with Scripture. But they hated God when he showed up in flesh. They hated Jesus. So the outward, it's not the what we're doing unless the why we're doing it is consistent and important. Let me go to that verse once again, one more time. Galatians 5, 6. If you are a follower of Christ Jesus, all that matters is I'm doing this because I trust Jesus, I trust God, and that causes me to love other people. I'm doing this because I love other people. I regard people the way God loves them. That's my motivation. That's what mature children of God are motivated by. Let me, let me give you one more motivation. Mature children of God. Since you are God's dear children, you must try to what? You must try to be like him. It's not going to be automatic. God wants us to cooperate in our own developmental process. We need to try to be like him. Your life must be controlled, controlled, motivated, controlled, governed, controlled by what? Love. love. Just as, well, here, we, here we get what kind of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. So here, mature children of God are motivated by love, motivated by faith, trusting God, and motivated by love. We're, we're going to see how, how that cuts. And remember what we read in Jeremiah, that our hearts can be deceitful, and we can deceive ourselves for years, for decades. But God wants not outward conformity. He wants inward transformation. That's, that's normal Christian life. It's not about believing some facts about Jesus. It's about trusting in Jesus. And that is meant to bring the transformation of our deepest, truest self, our heart. Let me close with uh, something I want to read to you from a great Christian communicator. And, and he's a pastor. His name is John Ortberg. And... He's talking about his own experience in church. And some of you, this will be familiar, some it won't be, but here it goes. John Ortberg says, The church that I grew up in had its boundary markers. A prideful or resentful pastor could have kept his job. But if ever that pastor was caught smoking a cigarette, he would have been fired. Not because anyone in the church actually thought smoking a worse sin than pride or resentment, but because smoking defined who was in in our subculture, and who wasn't in. It was a boundary marker. He goes on. He says, as I was growing up, having a quiet time, quiet time is that you, you spend you know, a little quiet time in the Word of God. You let God speak to you through His Word. You speak to Him in prayer, and you, know, you, you carve that out very diligently and so forth. Anyway, as I was growing up, 
Having a quiet time became a boundary marker, a measure of spiritual growth. If someone had asked me about my spiritual life, I would immediately think, have I been having a regular lengthy quiet time? My initial thought, get this, my initial thought was not, am I growing more loving toward God and toward people? That's the measure of real spiritual growth. It's not how much knowledge I have crammed in my head, as important as knowledge of God's word is, but has that knowledge reached my heart so that it's transforming me, that I am truly from the inside out a person that loves God, loves everything about him, and loves people. That's, that's where God's targeting. Then Ortberg closes out with these words. Boundary markers change from culture to culture, but the dynamic remains the same. If people do not experience authentic transformation from their faith, or excuse me, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for the boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. All right, I want to keep this real simple for this first message in the series. Might any of us still be at that stage of development, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be fearful. If you've truly returned to God by putting your trust in Christ, you are genuinely his follower, but you're still, truth be told, you measure a lot of your spirituality by boundary markers. I, I was in church. I did read my Bible some this week. I did pray. Now, don't get me wrong. All those things are really critically important. They are means to the end. They do help us develop and grow. But if that's my sole way of measuring, then I'm still at a very immature level. Could some of us in here, we heard it for the first time today, it's now becoming clear to us like it became clear to me back my, my first and a half year, second year of being a Christian, that, that I was more motivated by the fear of punishment and the hope of reward than I was by authentic faith and trust in Christ or love for him or anybody else? Could it be that this morning for the first time you realize your core motivational level is fear and reward and God showed you that this morning because he loves you and he, wa he wants you to take a step forward and to grow. Could it be that you learned for the first time this morning that your core motivation is you've got a bargain with God. Maybe you've never thought it through but in your mind, you expect God to do A, B, C, D for you because you're doing E, F, G for him. You, you've got kind of this bargaining mentality. And God's now showed up this morning and said, you know, I love you, my child. But it's time. It's time to start growing up. I, I, I don't want you motivated by these immature things. I want to change your heart. I want you to really become a different Christ-like kind of a person. Let's, let's, let's get at it. Let's, let's grow together, God is saying to some of us. So these are the two considerations this morning. So will you allow uh, the Spirit of God to have access to your heart? Will you think about these things? And if it's appropriate, will you say, God, I want to take some steps forward to having a mature Christ-like heart? Let's pray. Father, you're the God that searches the heart. You know us from the inside out. We do not easily know ourselves. Uh, thank you for the grace and the love that assures us that we can be open and honest with you. We don't have to fear. We can be who we really are. No matter what our condition, 
you love us, you want to heal us, you want to help us develop and grow. Help each of us to see what we need to see, that we can do what we need to do. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And you say